So, Michael, please describe the ballot initiative and its progress and any roadblocks and its future. All right. Well, uh, now that we have this model of Vox Venetia as a way to generate revenue, we're kind of um, we're, we're reassessing where we are and we're going to be setting a new timeline for the initiative. Mm -hmm. We have six months to gather from the date of the first signature to the day we turn them in. We have six months to gather the required number. Um, and we originally, oh, well, not even originally. We've actually, this is going to be the third time we've, we've, um, we've reinitiated our time frame. And each time we've, we've, we've done a little bit better and, and we've made some forward progress. The re reality as a grassroots organization is that we're relying on volunteers and we're relying on people who have a lot of ideology behind them, mm -hmm. but maybe not a lot of experience and definitely very little money. Right. So um, there's been a, some trial and error, and you know we're not going to stop until we get this thing on the ballot. I can't promise you it will get past that. will be up to the public, but we're going to do our darndest to make it happen. Mm -hmm. the, the volunteer base, how do I put it? As the organizer, it's my job to find a volunteer base that's, that's willing to work on the thing. Sure. The interesting thing as a libertarian um, is that I'm being accused of doing capitalism by the communists and I'm being accused of doing communism by the capitalists because, oh, it has to do with public parks, so I guess it's communism. And then the com you know, like, I'm, I'm getting into ideology here that's probably gibberish to most people, but there's two different definitions of property mm. that the grassroots community just loves to argue about. Yep. And where you decide the line of where property begins and ends is where you decide who's stealing from who. Uh -huh. And I'm just saying, like, I don't actually care how you define it, but you know an injustice when you see it. And we're all actually on the same page. We're all trying to be liberated from the same oppressive system. And quite frankly, if your ideology makes it impossible for you to actually speak out on an injustice like homeless uh criminalized homelessness mm -hmm. then it's not useful as a liberation ideology and if you're not working on the campaign yeah you know i lose nothing by allowing you to walk away okay so i just probably said more than i should well i mean hey, um, facts are facts the truth is i need to find some more volunteers and i think having a revenue stream that actually you know I hate to put it this way, but if people are getting paid, you know, then there's a bit of a self-interest in it. Yeah. So producing the paper gives people, you know, it, it allows us to engage actual homeless people. Um, they can make money doing that, and then more homeless people can circulate the petitions. They can make money doing that. That see that makes me sound that makes me sound like so. And we're back to money. <laughs> but well, I'm not making any money off this. I'm living yeah. with zero income, and so yeah. just to put that out there, yeah. lest anyone you know misconstrue my motives. Yeah. Um, I have contrived this this new this new you know tactic that we're trying. Um, it has been contrived so that you know people who want to get involved can earn money doing it. Yeah. If that makes me evil, then. I don't need you. <laughs> right. Well, uh, there's some interesting blogs and I can I'll I'll get these to you um living without money and um various ways of, you know, looking at uh, I've heard I've heard uh I heard someone mention that what they've done with their federal income taxes are just put it all in escrow 
and and say, look, it's all there for you when you can prove to me that you're you know you're not that you're in good faith, you aren't killing anyone with this public you know because it's, it's, you know you're doing it or or you know people like for example like I often when I go like go to the record store or something I can remember I like here or or got go down and get you know. Here, here's a bunch of cookies. And they're like, what are you doing? I was like, it's an alternative currency just so that we're not relying entirely on Confederate money. But, but uh, uh, you know, it's a grand experiment. And people, you know, it's a tool. People use it in different ways, you know. It's like a Swiss Army knife. Like me as a journalist, I find an investigative reporter, journal, investigative journal, I find it very helpful as a forensic tool. I don't have to spend any of it. You know, often right. it's, a lot, oftentimes it's my money that people have, you know, appropriations of my writ of script that people have derelicted, and in that sense, I had to spend some money to, so that people could commit a crime with it. But, 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 you know, and it's also it's also um, a philosophical thing in the sense that one dollar and a thousand dollars is the same. But we are back on money. Let's get off of it. Well, um, I, you know, I, I just want to say that Ayn Rand had a good quote, and she said, "Okay, people say that money is the root of all evil," and she asked the question, "But what is the root of all money?" And I think that question really turns it back inward and says the responsibility is on the human to use the tool in an ethical yeah, way. Yeah, it's, ca- it's, it's Ayn Rand's caveat, em- you know, the sequel to um, to iRobot, and it's caveat emptor, you know, who watches yeah. yourself, and watch I mean, yourself, watch your own ethic. I'm not the kind of a libertarian who worships at Ayn Rand's feet. I think there were some flaws in her ideology, but she also had some yeah, fair-skinned really, Eastern Bloc brunette, really awesome Bloc things to, to say for for that for that. Yeah. Demographic. I yeah. So I think it's going to be an ethical way for the community to work for she what smoked. for what it needs. She's a chain she smoked. <laughs> I don't know. She also her, her objectivist cult is pretty creepy. They're in still my here. opinion. Yeah, but. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't met any of them. It's a mystery. But you know, she had some great ideas for us. Well, she and wrote and she thought, um, uh, and I, I, I expect that. Uh, so Shipley quoting in another here from you. So the homeless community has been stigmatized. All of these stigmas have been lumped together and then dumped on homeless people. And that leading to me the following question. Please talk about the substance abuse and its historical relationship with homelessness and the homeless population. How can our community, society at large, interdict substance abuse among the homeless and aid with addiction recovery among the homeless demographic? I see that as the same uh, task that we are put upon with respect to protecting 10 to 12 year old boys and girls who are also highly targeted. And that's the highly, most highly targeted demographic for black market and quote unquote, otherwise uh, drugs Um, protecting a group of people from, from uh, an entity in the marketplace at large that would snuff their brains, regardless of whether they're homeless or whether they're a rich little white kid who's 12 years old and being offered cocaine cigarettes alcohol and and the commodification of sex so i i don't think there's um anything mysterious about um why we have such a high rate of of people turning to substances um in a society that has become so oppressive and abusive right because it's a quick fix it's a quick outlet to um to seek escape and artificial joy um in in a world that's very painful um, and at the same time, there's been a, kind of a, a taboo created or an allure of the of, of glamour surrounding, um, you know, the forbidden, right? So, um, you know, in, in trying to repress and suppress something, um, it almost makes it more attractive, especially um, when, when pop culture kind of um, – Glamorizes it. Or. You know, glamorizes the act of rebellion – 
you know, and so there's a people people build their whole identities around that. And and, you know, addiction is is um, is deeper than simply follow the leader. People don't just become drug addicts because it's cool. Mm. You know, there's there what we learn in recovery or at least in the recovery program that I'm in is that um, um, it's like it's an illness. Right. And, um, you know, we talked about external circumstances and and internal because um, a lot of that. um, So I the recovery I'm in is a 12 step based one. Mm. And so we follow the 12 steps. Um, as outlined in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've written at great length. Let me interject at, on regarding the 12 steps. I'll give you a copy of it. Okay. Go ahead. Well, um, and so especially in the fourth and fifth steps, we look into our resentments and the way that uh, we were coping with uh, the pain we felt through, uh, you, you know, the underlying resentments that we had against society. And, you know, we all experience pain in our lives. We're harmed in various ways, and, and we we build up you know, pain surrounding that. So, yes, we were harmed by others, but we can't control other people. We can only control our reaction and to it's that. the past. Right. But anyway, I'm probably getting too deep into things that break my own anonymity. But I will just briefly say that for me, I found um, I, I found relief by working the steps. And I think that, okay, in a political sense, um, we, we – um, the activist community makes a distinction between working through the power of state, which is considered an indirect action, mm. right? You're going to solve a problem by using force. That's indirect. And by libertarian standards, that's unethical. Then there's direct action, which is the idea of working directly on an issue to solve it. So a direct, an example of a direct action would be making a sandwich and handing it to a hungry person mm. instead of stealing money to buy a sandwich to give to the person. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another example of it, and so uh, the, why I bring that up is because the 12-step fellowships are a perfect example of direct action, mm-hmm. whereas the drug war would be an indirect action. Um, a, a, a tw- a, you know, any, any peer-based recovery you know, that doesn't make money is a direct action. Now, here's where the nonprofit industrial complex comes in because there's a huge professional industry built up around uh, the addict population too. So for every, you know, treatment center, there's a staff of, you know, highly paid medical professionals that are um, making money doing what can be done for free. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's that's a very interesting point. And I I think that I mean, you know, in the more general sense, we've talked about this before. Um, Who provides, you know, somebody's always been, you know, somebody provides you your first whatever. To eventually get you, you know, your, your gateway to substance abuse and addiction. Um, and you've got, you know, if one is to believe the ad clutter in the marketplace, the economic marketplace at large, you would think that nobody doesn't drink vodka all the time in this community. And it concerns me, and I think this is relevant with respect to taking a look around one's own local precinct, you know, which is basically the size of like your neighborhood or so. And finding out, okay, well, where, you know, where is it all coming from? Where, who is actually tendering? Who is giving? Who is selling the vodka to the homeless people? It's not helping. You know, and as I've mentioned, first responders, medics, EMTs, and police, you know, they can do a, 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 a triage or at least a prognosis on somebody standing 10 feet from them. And they've, they have picked people up who are stuck to the floor dead, you know, and have just been, you know, I mean, at some point um, – I mean, that's why the service groups are so important is because it's documented dry time. I mean, I th- it's almost as if 
You know, it's used as rat poison. And it's very widespread approach. And I argue that, you know, that's a problem. I asked my son, I said, have you ever seen an alcohol? And his answer was yes. And knowing what I know as a content carrier and a media professional, and a, you know, as someone who deals with information and the custody of information, the dissemination of information, it's professional, academically and professionally over the past 15 years, that nothing you see, whether it's editorial content or advertisement content, nothing occurs accidentally. It's made to, made to look incidental, but it's either targeting the target as a class or as an individual. And so my son's answer was, yes, I have seen alcohol ads. And the only place he's seen them is in the grocery store. In the context of where it's kind of with everything else and, and where eventually the rational decision can be incorrectly made that it's, oh, it's over there next to the bread, so it must be okay. You know, so the fact that it's for sale for cheap, big, huge jugs of vodka are for sale for cheap to homeless people is I have a problem with. I was at a grocery line yesterday, and there was a big jug of pop-off plastic bottle of vodka there, and it was sitting there, and, and it was because – he, it was, what was yesterday? What's today? Today's, yesterday was Tuesday. And it was sitting there, and I heard him say to his, his grocery manager, oh, she was already, she was already bombed out. She's drunk. As a, can we sell it to her? You know, and, but it's for sale. They can walk in and try to get it. Or if she'd stolen it, she could have had it. Why is that stuff available? Who is it benefiting? And they're trying to do it with, with the currency. And then as far as I can tell, it's basically just being used as rat poison. Well, fine. I don't like that either. I have a problem with it. And so... In terms of vectors and, and how it occurs, whether homeless people or not, this happened to be an example of a homeless person, I think. I mean, why is that? And I think it's important in that sense to walk around your district, find who's selling this stuff, you know, or you walk into a gas station where they're selling little glass pipes with flowers in it. Well, those are crack pipes, and we all know it, and every vice cop in the world knows it. You know, the, it, facts are facts, and they shouldn't be selling. Um, you know, that's a situation where there's no demand, no, no in good faith demand, yet it's being supplied. And that's called rat poison, whether it's crack cocaine or whether it's vodka out of a plastic bottle or whatever it is. Um, I mean, I've editorialized just right out the door with that. I mean, <laughs> I can't. And, and, and the next question, you know, I mean, advertising of addictive substances in the marketplaces of ideas and, and in the market, local mercantile and the apparent geographical prevalence of substance abuse culture. I mean, is there really that many people? Are there that many addicts? Or is it just made to look like there's that many in, in, the, in the general hubbub of the marketplace of ideas so that it's okay? To, I mean, wh why? Who's, who profits from that? I don't think so. I argue not. So our, um, according to the report that I cited earlier, about 21% of that population of 28,000 are um, experiencing um, substance abuse issues, which to me sounds kind of low. Um, <laughs> more, like, more like most everyone you know. I mean, when you go through recovery, you realize most of the people you encounter are just hammered. But okay, so there was a time in my life where I believed that um, I was um, um, acting out on my, on, you know, my privilege as a free man in a free country or, you know, I don't mean to make that gender specific, just I'm a free individual and you can't tell me what to do. So I'm I, going to do what I want, whether you like it or not. And I salute you. And I believe that I was asserting, you know, and I now know that um, there was a portion of delusion in that, in that I was not free as long as I was controlled by this drug. Right. But the reality is that I was in that time, you know, now I see, you know, with, with more clarity, you know, and I would love for, um, everybody else who's still, you know, caught in that paradigm to see what I see. And I would love for um, the youth to never, you know, be, ex 
you know, to never even be exposed to that choice. Right. If there's no um, crack and no crack ads, then your child is at no risk of ever becoming a crack addict. But as somebody who doesn't um, believe that initiating aggressive force is the right way to do things, I just hesitate to think down a line of thinking that might lead to um, a prohibition. So... I think the answer, like for me, I can, you know, I can wow. look back. I, I just, I remember, you know, my parents were conservative Christians and they held everything being like, oh, you can like, we wouldn't go here and we wouldn't go there and we so couldn't watch certain TV the shows. back from you because you, in, in rebellion, you went directly to the things that they told you not to do. Right. I, I was like, when I grow up, I'm going to do whatever the heck I want and I'm going to do it when I want to do it and nobody is going to stop me. And that was, I mean, that was basically that. It was um, a psychological time bomb just waiting yeah. to go well, off. Well, we, we have a bias in our caucus because I was the same way. So maybe you know, not everybody's that way. I'm, you know, they're not. Well, but but I mean, I'm sure some people are perfectly normal and a, don't feel that way. A counterexample is um, I have I have a, a some really close friends that I've known since you know barely out of high school, and they are addicts too, and they're also married, and they had a son, and you know. They're not particularly spiritual people, but I believe God's helping them in their lives because they've been ma they've managed to stay together through right. this. And, the, and their son is now in high school, and he is looking at all of the drama they've been through because you know there were fights in the home when the cops came, and uh. you know they saw you know he saw all it, he saw and he saw what I went through with my homelessness and yeah. how disturbed they were and how they couldn't help me and they wanted to and you know he saw what the adults in his life went through. Um, and he wasn't shielded from that, right? Because, you know, part of the punk spirit is, you know, do it yourself and I am who I am and it doesn't matter. So mm -hmm. he was never shielded from that or taught that that was taboo. He was taught that if he could grow up, he could be whatever. If he wanted to be just like his mom and dad and, you know, pass out drunk every single night, <sighs> he could do that. Yeah. And what's happening is he's going, okay, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> well, we learn. <laughs> he's, like we you know, learn. so, I mean, I think that's, it's maybe an extreme on the other side. Like I wouldn't recommend modeling addictive behavior for your children as sure. a way to prevent, like <laughs> that's no, the, I, you know. I, definitely not, but yeah. simply, simply letting children know what reality is, you know, and, and so they can make an informed decision. If I had actually been exposed to the truth, I wouldn't have made um, the decision that I made, which was a very, uh, a naive one. It was, mm -hmm. it was based in, um, uh, an act of defiance um, that had so you know I just think it's deeper I think and you know I'm a gay man I'm never going to have a child so um, science does some amazing things these days well I mean I guess never say never, never, say never. starting to let us get married maybe I'll be able to adopt I don't know but so maybe I you know I don't it's know a show for another day right for now it's a, it's just an exercise yeah, some me. people would tell you that the definition of marriage is just simply animal coupling or the act of procreation you know I mean <laughs> in, a, in a in a in a kind of a not whether it's secular or not but just in a certain sense and I I see I see marriage as an institution that is abused and a vehicle for bearing false witness so much it is so you know what I mean to where it's like <clears throat> you know, people. I mean, I've I've seen it really be the vehicle for lies, and I've seen excellent examples of it not. But um, but it, I mean, it can be abused. So there are t just like any other institutional t construct. You know, it can be abused just like the other things we've talked about today. If if you got the wrong people involved in in, in the hat, um, 
local institutions and assets available for the homeless? Um, what are some things people can do who wish to get involved and to help out? Uh, contact information, websites. And well, one of the things I, I would what that would be so helpful is for people to start their own organic grassroots solutions that aren't connected to the nonprofit industrial complex mm -hmm. um, because state power is really abusing the population. They're stealing the majority of the resources. And um, we, were, we wanted to compile a list of resources. I'll give you an example. One example that a lot of people are experiencing in addiction prior to maybe becoming homelessness is a domestic violence situation. Yeah. Well, a lot of people won't report that because, like, A, if there's drugs in the home, you know, you, you risk getting, you know, mm -hmm. uh, arrested. B, they're going to – usually they're going to make you snitch out the, the man. And, of course, I'm being sexist by assuming it would be the man beating the woman because it could be the woman beating the man or it that could be happened. one man beating another man. And a, uh, and a, you know, yeah. But anyway, um, you know, so and no matter how much that person's abusing you, there's usually a kernel of love, and you don't want to expose that person to getting dragged away to a cage, so you don't do it, right? right? So um, uh, the other thing is that, like, if you report that, the, they might take your child. Sure. Right, so any any of these five hundred one institutions that are connected to the enforcement branch, they're like actually required by law to report that. Yeah. So people don't like that's a like I would never ever print the name of one of those organizations as a resource in my newspaper because I'm not going to lead people down a pathway that's going to lead to them being harmed. Yeah. But you know people, and you know what you you've been through it here, and you know what you would do, and you know how to counsel somebody as a fellow citizen what to do. I mean, there was an instance where I referred a homeless guy to you. Now, he, you know, I mean, because I've met you, I know you. You're not a, just a face in the crowd. You're not just some seal or some construct. And That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, start building up uh, alternatives. As far as to... I'm concerned, you're my the point man here. But yay! Uh, so there you are. Well, good. That's the position I. But do you have a website, or is there a? Is there a? I mean, I guess they could look at Facebook and go to the Vox Phoenicia, or. Well, you can go to phoenixcluck.org, which right now is pointed at the Facebook page. And it's C L U K, camping spelled with a K, so it's phoenixcluck.org. Right. Which right now is pointing to the what? Uh, which basically just goes to our Facebook page. Okay. So if you search for camping to legalize urban camping with a K on Facebook, you'll find it there. Okay. Um. And that's about it. The other thing you could do is if you want to get involved, come to one of our meetings. We've been meeting every two weeks at uh, the UCC church. Right. I have that here. I'll read that uh, over the air in a minute. Um, so well, I'll just say the next Vox, is this correct? The next Vox Phoenicia organizational meeting is July 19th at noon at First Congregational Church of Christ, 1407 North 2nd Street, Phoenix. Is that accurate? That's totally accurate. Okay. Um, so there you go. Uh, Michael Shipley, uh, get involved. Thanks, Michael, for being here. Thank you for having me.